Have you ever had someone refer to something going on in the community who asked you, what's going on there? What's the story with all that? The right answer lies with the people directly involved in it, the people who know. Why not hear their story? So welcome to What's the Story, Pekin? I'm Gary Gillis, your host, and I hope you enjoy this Pekin podcast. My guests today are two well-known names in Pekin and also good friends, uh, Tiffany White and Shannon Sandoval. Tiffany, as we all know, is Executive Director of the Everett McKinley Dirksen Congressional Research Center. And Shannon is, and I'd love to see the size of your business card, Shannon, Assistant Director of the Honors Program Lecturer Instructor of Communications in Residence at Bradley University. And if you flip it over in the back, it says Coach of the Speaking Dragons uh, speech team. So uh, if I used acronyms, because most people professionally have acronyms on their business card, uh, Tiffany, you would be the EDEDCRC. And Shannon, you would be the A-D-H-P-L-I-C-I-R. So again, we need to have a big business card for that. So, <laughs> so, but regardless of those professional titles, I know they're here representing the title they're most proud of, and that's Dave Tebbins' daughters. So ladies, welcome. Um, I know your dad was taken from us at the age of 62, uh, much too early. And if I'm correct, over 15 years ago now? Yeah, yes. 2008. Just wow. was just wow. 15 years. Yeah. yeah, but his legacy and impact still speaks to us today, and I know he's the inspiration behind the R. David Tebbin Leadership Academy. And I know when you're you're asked to appear there, you give a little bit of a background or biography of your dad. So that's what we want to do because he is one of the icons of Pekin and, and a famous name in Pekin history. So let's share the Dave Tebbin story. Mm. So. In the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me first just uh, start with uh, a historical fun fact for you and your audience, Gary, that Shannon and I learned recently, um, and really as recently as this year. Uh, Dad was the second longest serving mayor of Pekin really? in all of its history, going back to at least 1845. Is that right? That is right. The only um, former mayor that exceeds his uh, tenure is Norman Shade. Right. That's what I figured. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Norman Shade was mayor for 22 years. Not all consecutively, but sure. on and off. Yeah. 22 years. And, and your uh, dad's was? Almost 10. Really? Yes. Okay. So uh, I know that part of um, you know the purpose of talking about this topic is because of the bicentennial and sure. you're wanting to um, share history with your listeners and so um, that's a little piece of history for them about uh, Pekin's leadership. And if your dad was still here today then he would have broken that record because I'm sure he'd still be mayor. Unless he'd say, nah, <laughs> you, I mean to, to be honest I don't think he probably he would have but I think he for sure would have gotten to that 12 sure. year mark. Sure. You know he would have completed that third term yeah. for sure. Uh, the other part of that is there have only been three mayors in Pekin history who were elected to more than one term really? and he's one of those wow. three yeah. which we also found a little bit surprising because you would expect sure. a lot more people to have served two terms right. minimum um, but it's actually only three sure. total and he was back in the day before the city manager form of government where he he managed a department correct he was on the city council before the city manager form and then he was actually the first mayor under the right. city manager form right. so i guess yeah. that's another little 
asterisk uh, on the Wikipedia page for him as well. Uh, so yes, he managed, um, we looked it up, it was, I remember it being the sewer department because it was kind of a joke in our family that he, uh, was it, oh, you're gonna have to forgive me, the Honeymooners, uh, oh. Norton. Yeah. Yes, yeah. so yeah. his nickname was Norton <laughs> yeah. around yeah. in the family for a little while. It was, I think, public health and safety sure. was the technical name sure. of the department, but basically it was the sewers. Okay. So good. lots of good. jokes about good. what a terrible job and not the word terrible, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could, yeah, never mind. I won't <laughs> go there. So, and it's, you know, Tevin's a peak in name, uh, mm -hmm. longstanding, uh, you know, born into a distinguished family, and that was then in the 40s. He would yeah. have been born there. He okay. was born in 1946. Yeah, 1946. Okay. Uh, born and raised in Pekin. Uh, he had two older sisters. Um, his oldest sister was 11 years older, and then the middle sister was five years older. So four to five. Four to five. Yes. Yeah. Um, Bob and Edna were his parents, and um, Bob was a longtime employee of Pekin Insurance, mm -hmm. um, served there for 50 years, and he started in the mailroom and worked his way all the way up to being the president and wow. CEO. And, um, you know, he was also a great leader. It's obvious that um, our dad learned a lot about leadership and about parenting, which are really kind of the same thing, sure. uh, from his own father. Um, grew up in a house on 4th Street that Bob actually built. Um, we think it may have been a Sears Roebuck home, and uh, he would work during the day, and then at night he would go uh, with his friends and work on the house. Um, but when Dad came along, they outgrew the home, and um, you know, Dad would always tell the story about how his bedroom was actually um, a porch that they sort of enclosed um, but didn't insulate very well, and so it was always very cold. Sure. Um, and then when he was nine, they moved to what's a very iconic home in Pekin, 709 Washington Street. It's uh, John and Chris Newman's home. Sure. Um, and uh, there's another story about that that I'll t tell and then I'll let my sister uh, share some time. Um, but there's the story that has gotten passed down through our old family lore about the day that they moved to 709. Uh, Dad rode his bike to school that day and when he came home, he found an empty house. Now, of course, he knew that they were moving, but he claims that they didn't, he didn't know mm. that they were moving that day. And so he had to ride his bike around until he found the house on Washington Street that had a moving truck in the driveway. And so, uh, you know, he and his mother would go back and forth about that story. And she, of course, says that that, of course, wasn't true. And, and it didn't leave any scar tissue. And it didn't leave any scar tissue. And allegedly, when yeah. he did walk in, as, this, as he would tell the story, perhaps a little embellished, she turned, saw him, and turned to our grandfather and said, oh, shoot, Bob, he found us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are uh, a lot of great stories in our family that come out of 709. 709 is actually, uh, in, an, in and of itself, uh, like a symbolic number in our family. Hmm. Um, my son actually has 709 tattooed on his ankle as a reminder of his home and his roots and, and where wow. he came from, which I think is a testament to that because I, I don't even really remember 709. Most of my cousins do, but I was two when my grandparents left that house. Mm -hmm. A couple other families lived there. Um, also other well-known, Dr. Tozy lived sure. in that house um, in the time after, uh, and I believe someone else before John and Chris moved in. So, But those numbers 709 um, 
they show up you know it's it, we kind of i actually pulled in the parking lot and the car in front of me had the number 709 on the license plate and i was like oh, oh there oh, it is wow. so <laughs> a lot of those little moments where you know you say oh well hi dad hi, hi sure. how you doing so sure. and he had that um he would tell stories after his father and mother died he he would tell me oh i saw 709 today or oh the lot you know the uh my grandfather died right after mother's day and on father's day of that year the lottery number was 709 and just just little weird things that you know you notice and you think Mm -hmm. you know is that and so but so we really closely tied to i think more kind of the lore and the history and the you know the idea of that house uh, and what it represented Uh to the to the family has still been passed down so he, he probably never rode a school bus, did he? I mean, it was Washington School just down the street, and yeah. high school so he wasn't went to, too far. He went to Jefferson, oh, and Je- then yeah, Washington, Jefferson. and yep. then Beacon Community High School. Um, it's in the first class to graduate from East Campus. East Campus. Okay, so he did that. would have okay. done three years at West Campus, sure. and then just his senior year yeah. up at East Campus. Boy, sure. I, I sound like an old Pekin person when I say West <laughs> Campus and oh, yeah. East yeah. Campus. But so we should put an addendum at the end of this and explain <laughs> that to a new yeah. generation. So, yeah. And then he went to the University of Illinois and received a degree in finance and accounting. Um, he was a good student only some of the time as it turns out which is something that i uh actually really like about my dad um and you know he he had a typical childhood in the 40s and 50s i think there was just you know a lot of mishap and a lot of mischief and um you know him being the only boy in the family i think contributed a little bit to that but um anyway he graduated college in 68 Mm -hmm. and then in 1969 he um purchased Mm -hmm. an insurance agency the kelly insurance agency and his dad who of course was president of Pekin Insurance at the time told him to not go into the insurance business and he did anyway and I don't think it's because he you know loved insurance but it was what he knew and it was kind mm-hmm. of the path of least sure. resistance and he had a finance degree and um, I don't know he maybe didn't think that he would do that forever but 40 years later um, sure. you know Tebbin Insurance was, Understandable. Yeah. was still a thing. Yeah. yeah he found his true calling and that's that's kind of tough you know you I know for me, when I realized this is what I was meant to do, it just was a reassuring moment, and I'm sure he had that as well. I, I used to think for, I think growing up for a long, well, first of all, growing up, I thought you had to go to college to, to own an insurance agency, mm-hmm. because that was what he had done. Um, and I think I thought that he had the insurance agency, you know, it was, it was a job. It was a way of paying the bills. Um, he certainly, and we'll get to this, was really involved in a lot of other things in the community and um, I I don't know I just saw it as kind of you know it's just kind of what you do and then after he died uh, when I sort of ran the agency for a year and I say sort of because I really literally just paid the bills and Mm -hmm. we had really good staff who really were the ones who kept that legacy going Uh, but I got a little more insight into things and I started to realize what a helping profession an insurance agent can be and maybe we don't always think of it that way Um, but you know there were times that he would cut family vacations short come back to town because there had been a big storm and he had a lot of clients who were affected I, I think he liked that part of being able to show up when mm-hmm. people had had something terrible happen right. and, and help them out. So, yeah, I think it was a profession that paid the bills and let sure. him do a lot of other things. Um, 
but I think he enjoyed that yeah. part of it too. Well, before he ventured into politics, I kind of remember the, the chronological order of some of this. And, and the thing that he didn't know at the time, but was really significantly impacting my life, would be when he came up with this idea of having a medallion hunt. Because <laughs> he really was the one who created it, and I was fortunate enough to, to have it handed to me. And I'll always be uh, very, very much appreciative of that because it's just been a big part. It's defined me. It's been a lot of fun. And I know he did as well. Because I remember the day, you know, to, for him to head home, he would go past my place. And it was right after the end of a hunt, and he pulled over, and I knew what he was going to talk about. And he, and he said in his Dave Tebbin type of way, um, great job, my friend. And uh, mm. he, he, he said, uh, you're going to give it up. And this was 25 years ago. And I said, Dave, it's just every year it just comes and goes. And he says, well, I miss it. Aww. So you knew he really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm glad we can continue it and it's really a treasured part of of being and living in Pekin but it was because of your dad that it all started so so you went yeah. from that and he that wasn't fulfilling enough you want to give back <laughs> to the community another way and so he got involved in city council I he did remember that he yeah. uh was elected in 1987 that was the year that I was born so really um I didn't know him as anybody but a person who was in True. public service mm -hmm. and then um you know council terms are four-year terms and uh he ran for re-election in uh 1991 and uh was successful there's a funny story behind this though i shouldn't say it's funny but it's a very interesting story um about that election this is the year um that the prison referendum uh, came into play. Mm -hmm. So he voted to put the issue on the ballot, mm -hmm. but it did not get enough support. And so then as a member of the city council, he voted to not, you know, pave the way for the federal prison right. to come to Pekin. Everybody else who voted yes, and that was the successful vote, um, did not get reelected mm -hmm. <laughs> in 1991. And so uh, because he didn't vote for it, he kept his seat. Um, but then years later, he was the chairperson of the Federal Prisons um, Community Relations Board. So, uh, you know, I never got to talk to him about that and, um, you know, whether or not he... Um, knew which way the political winds were were blowing and what went into some of that decision making i do remember him talking about it a little bit so in in 1991 i would have been a junior in high school um so old enough to be to have teachers you know who also were paying attention sure. and, and to remember what that issue was in the community at the time um and i remember him saying i i really support this i think that we should mm -hmm. do this right. and had i not been the one to ask for that referendum right. i would vote yes for it but because i asked for that referendum um which is interesting because i don't think that as a leader he was always one who felt like you had to do exactly what everybody right. said right. you should do he felt more like as a leader you were entrusted to make decisions with information that other people sure. may not have um but in this case because he was so invested and he had asked he, he had asked people for their input right. and you know that referendum was only a 
like forty nine to fifty one percent or something. I mean, it was it was, it was a non binding really referendum. So and yes, yeah, and yeah. it was non binding. But he felt like yeah. no, I you know I owe it to them to to recognize that they came out and, and made their voices heard. So, but then yes, was very much a supporter. Well, I remember of the prison w- his words exactly. He said his his words were, "I'm duty bound." Mm. Because of the mm-hmm. fact that he had, you know, basically encouraged the uh, use of this advisory referendum, so he, you know, basically, and I knew he favored the prison, but yes. because he had called for that, and I think probably most people did know that, yeah, but you yeah. know, um, and you know, perhaps it was just people felt they were being listened to, even right. even if he didn't necessarily agree, he he would at least listen and and represent them. Yeah, so a, a politician with a moral obligation, and, and it's, it's kind of like an oxymoron yeah. today. Yeah. And Ever Dirksen was probably the only other one too, as, as well. So, yeah. Well, that that strategy is exactly what um, helped him survive. So that in 1995, he went on to run for mayor for the first mm-hmm. time successfully, uh, ran again in 1999 successfully, and then after eight years, um, ran for a third term in 2003, and uh, he lost that election sure. by 37 exactly. votes yeah. um, to Lynn Howard. Um, ran again in 2007 after, um, I think, actually truly enjoying some time away from that position, mm-hmm. um, but still, yet again, felt the call um to get back into it um and then a year and a half later um he died somewhat unexpectedly uh, Mm -hmm. in 2008 at age 62. right well he had also had a cancer struggle before that because i remember him wearing a ball cap uh when they they still do televise the city council things which is a testimony to his his courage in that you know a lot of people would say well you know, come back when you're better, but mm. he, he still was was duty-bound to be there. I admire that. Yeah, he was actually diagnosed with cancer in 1998. I had just moved to California uh, just a few months before he was diagnosed. In fact, the, the personal story I remember to that was that he sent an email to, I can't remember if he told me in the email or if he asked him asked me to call but the the email ahead of time was to make sure that my fiance would be there with me when he either called or emailed me the info he didn't mm-hmm. want me to be alone to read hey I, I have cancer um and so he started treatment in 1998 uh and went through a couple of different rounds of treatment and then i don't remember exactly when it was you know in remission he did do chemotherapy uh, right before my wedding in 1999, he started chemotherapy because he was joking about, I'll probably be walking you, to, walking you down the aisle and like losing hair as I go or something. <laughs> um, but shortly after my wedding, he did what a lot of people who are battling cancer did and shaved his head. And then what you're talking about with the ball caps, he started wearing the caps on the broadcast of the city council meetings for a donation to Relay sure, for Life. Sure. Um, and then he also, you know, I think what is kind of remarkable uh, about his time in office while he was going through cancer is that he did write for the newspaper, I think a weekly column where he communicated out to the community things that were happening. And this was not a topic he shied away from. Um, and he shared, you know, very openly exactly where he was. There mm-hmm. was uh, initially just did radiation and then they discovered a little more cancer outside of the field of radiation. Mm-hmm. So that was why then they, they went to the chemotherapy. And I think he put that all in his column, you know, and just explained, okay, well, True. this is going to happen. And then had a very just kind of positive, you know, upbeat attitude. I remember it felt, 
it felt like you couldn't be really scared about him having cancer because not not only was he like that to us, but he was like that yeah. to the community as a whole. He just, and I'm sure he had his moments, of course, but he just remained so positive about it and, and so open about it. You know, you can also often hear him whistling before he mm-hmm. arrives someplace, so you knew who was who was coming into the room. Yeah. And he was a positive influence, and he, and he really, to, to me, was the epitome of what a good mayor is, not just a capable administrator, but also a great cheerleader for the community. And, and I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of anybody else who could match that skill that he had. So that's Yeah, we don't that's great usually thing. think about cheerfulness as a leadership sure. skill or a leadership right. quality, right. but I... Um, certainly learned from him that it is a leadership quality, and I think it's a fairly sure. essential leadership quality to be able to just set the tone, um, not just for other people, but for yourself. I mm-hmm. think that good decisions get made when there's um, just an air of optimism in the room, and um, leaders are responsible for um, setting the stage for that. Sure, and that's why he really was the uh, inspiration behind the the leadership academy i think it had started before he passed but in his honor then they named it yes it did it started before he passed um i can't remember the year that it started but he was certainly um instrumental in the effort to bring the leadership academy mm-hmm. to peak and i think it was inspired by um peoria's version of the leadership academy and um he had been involved with the chamber of commerce and um that's the organization of course that um that host the initiative and um so yeah i actually graduated from the leadership academy the first year that it was named after him and it's it's all about connecting with other people and getting to know your community again not things that we think about stereotypically when we ponder well what makes a great leader well um, knowing your community mm-hmm. makes you a great leader. It's not right. the only thing, but um, that's a big part of the Leadership Academy is just um, giving people the opportunity to really understand um, who's here and um, and what they do. Sure, well said. He uh, not only was his example you know, well-received here, but he was also involved in a broader scale. I know he was the president of the Illinois Municipal League, um, and he had some other responsibilities and things part that of illinois done. mayor's association yeah. i think yes. he was pretty yeah. Yeah. um pretty involved in um yeah i think you know he really saw his role as mayor like you said not only just as cheerleader but as ambassador mm-hmm. um and beyond you know certainly in, in some element in wanting to have a voice in springfield or a presence with people or be at least on the radar of sure. that but also with other communities um the mayor of washington was a good friend of his recently friended me on facebook <laughs> you know um and i know it's because oh oh that's yeah. dave's daughter i'm yeah. you know we have mutual friends um i've spent a lot of time in marion uh, over the years and often thought there's a, a mayor there who just passed away a few years ago who i know you know knew my dad mm-hmm. and was sure. involved in him yeah. with him and, and things so yeah i think he thought that was an important sure. uh, an important like mm-hmm. perk really of being mm-hmm. mayor was yeah. that he got to do that and so often um i think communities fall into the trap of um seeing themselves as competitors against each other mm-hmm. um and the whole spirit of the heart of illinois mayors association is to um, bring those leaders together to share mm-hmm. ideas about what is working in their own community sure. and to help each other out and to just really adopt a spirit of we're actually all in this together and right. we can help each other and um 
I, I think that that also very much exemplifies um, the spirit of who our dad was. Sure. Well, Tiffany, you may have been the first graduate of the R. David Tabby <laughs> Leadership Academy. I was really the first attendee before there was a leadership academy oh. because when I got on the Marigold Committee uh, in late 1981, your dad was on the on the uh, committee, and uh, he, in, in a sense, unintentionally mentored me uh, just by his example. Uh, taught me a little bit about you know how to. Uh, function and, and make your way through the community and the way its its history was, uh, the movers and shakers, etc. And, and so, really, I just followed his example in in many ways. And uh, we we talked often on the side about little things about okay, I want to do this, but how do you do it? And he knew the way to to approach the problem in a way that would work here. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it defied logic, but it didn't. It logically would work out. So uh, <laughs> that's I. I that's why I look forward to this interview so much because as much as we'll recognize those leaders of the past and the bicentennial, it was one that uh, you know we here knew and you knew exceptionally well. So, uh, and I, I would th not hesitate to tell you, if, um, he would be very, very proud of both of you, mm. what you've achieved professionally, but also the way you've given back to the community and the example you've set because of it. So. You know, our David Tevin lives on through both of you and what you do, and I, and I know your kids will carry that on as well. And, and I want to thank you for being here, but I, I want to finish with this observation, that you know, a lot of people go through a lifetime hoping they get to meet their heroes. Oh. Both of you were raised by yours. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for true. being here. It's we appreciate true. it. Yes. Okay. Thank thanks. you very much. Thanks, Gary. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I want to thank those who make this effort possible. The Pekin Area Chamber of Commerce, our sound guy and recording expert, Mike Eaton, the Pekin Public Library for providing us a place to host and record, and to our many guests who add to the archives of What's the Story Pekin. Please be sure to share your thoughts by emailing us at pekinpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on whatever platform you listen to and stay tuned for more podcasts to come.